to taking the party out of politics. This is a podcast about understanding how politics is supposed to work, why it isn't working as well as it could be working, and what we might be able to do about it. Now, in Series 1, we took a look at how government is supposed to work from the perspective of us, the voters. In Series 2, we took a look at how government is supposed to work from the perspective of someone trying to get elected and then trying to do a good job. This is Series 3. Now, in Series 3, we're going to be looking at what we might be able to do to make things work a bit better. We'll be using our understanding of what bits of the political system aren't working and why they aren't working to explore ways in which we might be able to change things around a bit to make it all work a bit better. Now, importantly, whilst we'll be sharing our ideas, we'll also be sharing some of the best of your ideas about how to make things work a bit better. Welcome to episode 28 of Taking the Party Out of Politics. Today, we're going to start our look at how we might solve some of the big challenges facing us and facing our political system. Yes, that's right. We've spent the past year or so detailing the problems, but now we're going to take our understanding of the problems, our understanding of why things aren't working as well as they should be working, and we're going to start to bring together some of the best ways in which we could change things. And it is about changing things, tweaking things, adjusting things. It isn't about throwing out the baby with the bathwater. There are many good things in our political system, and we should keep the good things. But we shouldn't be overawed by the good things. We should acknowledge where there are shortcomings, and we should work out how to fix them. Today, we're going to start that process by looking in more detail at citizens' assemblies. Now, are we proposing a revolution? Honestly, I don't think so. We're certainly proposing changes, tweaks, adjustments, but I don't think that any of them comes even close to constituting a revolution. Having said that, of course, some people do like to think of change as being a revolution. Some people find it easier to get passionate about big changes. And it's true that some things we're fighting against and some things we're fighting for. There's a writer called Owen Jones, and in his book, The Establishment, he talks about democratic revolution. He says, quote, Proponents of a democratic revolution need to have the same commitment to a long-term vision. Britain would be a country both run by and run in the interests of those who keep it ticking, rather than run as a get-rich-and-keep-rich scheme for the wealthiest. It would mean a society organised on the basis of social need rather than short-term private profit. It would mean extending democracy to every sphere of life, not just politics, with the odd national election, but also to the wider economy and the workplace. Unquote. What we're interested in is whether we can make things work better for all of us. We're interested in changing the way the system works. And that is taking the party out of politics. Now, how would a different way of using our systems actually operate? The starting point is that we should be better engaged as voters and as citizens. Now, this is really a baseline, and we made that point in the last episode. Beyond this, there are three main aspects of a different way of using our existing systems. 
first, we need to have a system which takes the electoral pressure out of what's called the wicked issues, and which might have applications even beyond that. Second, we should take every opportunity to share the best ideas. Third, we need to have a system which takes the political party pressure out of checking the quality of what's going on. Taken together, we might call this a citizen democracy, to sit alongside our representative democracy. Today, we're going to look at the first of a number of ways in which we might have better citizen democracy. We're going to look at citizens' assemblies. But first, let's set the background to that. Let's remind ourselves why we, as citizens, as voters, why we should be more engaged with our political processes. Citizen engagement. As we said in the last episode, as individuals, we should ensure that we're better informed and we should ensure that our elected representatives know that we're better informed. This helps us to make better decisions and to understand better what is going on and to keep our elected representatives on their toes. Not about scandal or about news of the moment. We need to ensure that we're better informed about the big stuff, about the long-term trends, about how things are changing and about how they could be changing differently. We need access to considered summaries of what's important, not just attention-grabbing headlines and endless speculation. And we probably need some way of demonstrating that we're up to date, that we've thought about the basics. There are organisations which are trying to help us do this. There are fact-checking organisations which try to check the information and facts which are quoted in the media and to check that the facts used by politicians are actually accurate. These include Full Fact and the BBC's Reality Check. There are also podcasts like the BBC's More or Less and they go into even more detail. Sadly, these are still not the attention-grabbing frontline news. We need to make a bit of an effort to find them and to pay attention to them. But they are there. There are also some rather wonderful organisations out there which are trying to ensure that our understanding of the world isn't rooted in either wrong information or outdated information. Many of us learned about the world at school and have sort of assumed that the base statistics haven't changed much since, when often they've changed out of all recognition. Hans Rosling, a Swedish physician, academic and public speaker, well, he was a real leader in this area. And Gapminder continues to offer an engaging way of understanding what the facts really are. If you haven't looked at it, I recommend you have a look. There are also apps which try to share facts and figures about the way the world actually is and how it works in a trivial pursuit, game-like structure, such as the Talk Together app. The aim here is to make it fun to keep up to date. If we want our systems to work and our elected representatives to work in our best interests, then it's our responsibility to be reasonably well-informed. This will protect us from too much fake news, but it will also ensure that our elected representatives are kept on their toes. This should really be a starting point, a baseline, a basic assumption for citizen democracy. So, citizens' assemblies. Moving forward from just being better engaged as citizens, the first part of the answer about how we can change the way the system operates for the better is citizens' assemblies. 
Now, the wicked issues are those issues which are seen by politicians and by political parties as being too risky to take on, at least in electoral terms. Although those issues are really important, and despite the fact that ignoring them is just going to make them worse, these are issues which require actions, such as raising taxes or changing what services are provided, actions which politicians believe are going to be so unacceptable to the electorate that those politicians are not prepared to confront the issues. Now, whether our politicians are right or wrong, they believe that they risk losing the next election if they try to address these issues. So how do we take the political sting out of these issues? Well, what many countries have done is to follow the route of a citizens' assembly. It works like this. First, you start with a representative group of people. For example, a group of 100 people might be brought together to represent all 68 million people in the UK. Within that 100 people, if 90% of the UK population is white, then 90 of the 100 people would be white. If 48.5% of the population is male, then 48 or 49 of the 100 people would be male. If the population of Yorkshire is 5.3 million, then 5.3 over 68 is 8%, well, 8% of the participants would be from Yorkshire. If 42% of the population has graduated from university, then, well, you guessed it, 42 out of the 100 people would be graduates. Whilst at the same time, if 21% of the population was in what we call professional jobs, then 21% of the participants would have professional jobs. And of course, if 45% of the population had voted Conservative at the most recent election, then 45 out of the 100 participants would be people who had voted Conservative at the most recent election. And so on. You get the idea. OK, so you've got your representative group. Well, what happens next? To start with, there's some group training. There are some key principles for how citizens' assemblies are conducted, including openness of proceedings fairness in how different viewpoints are treated and the quality of briefing material, equality of voice among members, efficiency, respect, collegiality, and so on. The participants are given training and they're given support in all sorts of stuff. For example, how to get the most out of statistics and how to understand those statistics in a way that makes them make sense and in a way that usefully informs decisions. About how to listen to other people constructively. To listen to other members of the Citizens' Assembly, of course, but also to listen to people who might give evidence to the Citizens' Assembly. Because the next stage is to look at the evidence. Working together, and in a process which might take days, or weeks, or even months, the Citizens' Assembly looks at all the evidence on the issue. This might be reading documents, looking at statistics, listening to experts, and questioning those experts to make sure their evidence is understood, as well as listening to members of the public and to representatives of interest groups. For example, imagine that the wicked issue is funding for the health service. Of course, that might be just too huge an issue on its own. How do you even phrase the question which the Citizens' Assembly should consider? It needs narrowing down. Now, perhaps within that huge, complicated area, the Citizens' Assembly might be given the task of giving the government guidance on the action which should be taken on providing suitable health care for the elderly. 
Now that's still a pretty big area to consider, but perhaps it's a bit more manageable. Now, the Citizens' Assembly would want to listen to healthcare experts, but also to older people who were receiving support, or not receiving support, to people who provide care to the elderly, to providers of medicines and providers of healthcare equipment, and also to representatives from related areas, such as social care. For example, none of our governments have yet managed to establish a funding linkage between bed blocking in expensive NHS hospitals by older people who need a space in a cheaper, local authority-funded care home. A funding linkage because ultimately it comes down to budget priorities and budget pressures. But because local authorities aren't responsible for NHS budgets, then there's a lot less incentive for those local authorities to make space available in care homes. And in the meantime, the country as a whole, that's all of us, the country as a whole is paying for too many of the expensive hospital bed places. Depending on how the task for the Citizens' Assembly was set up, the final advice might be just advice. But it might be binding on the government. In other words, the government might be obliged to follow it. That might sound a bit risky for the government, a hostage to fortune. But on the other hand, it might give the government the perfect excuse to act on the wicked issue without risking any electoral fallout at the next election. Now, there are lots more details, of course. Exactly how you select the 100 people to be representative of the whole country, well, that's a skill in itself. Some people might be both university graduates and white and also from Yorkshire and also be in professional jobs, and so they'd be counted in various different categories all at the same time. In fact, every member of the Citizens' Assembly would be counted in many different categories, just as each of us is not just one thing, not just female, but also a doctor, also under 30, and also... and so on. The terms of reference for the Citizens' Assembly are hugely important. Every stone you turn over might reveal 16 more really crucial things to consider, but the Citizens' Assembly has to stay on task. For example, there might be huge implications for climate change in the way in which investment is made in making the housing stock more environmentally efficient. But if the focus is supposed to be on welfare of the elderly, then the climate change argument might not be a reason to invest in more insulation for the homes of older people. Or alternatively, it might be. That depends on the terms of reference. So anyway, the Citizens' Assembly makes it possible for the country to address the wicked issues without it being a problem which is just too risky for politicians. Politicians who have to keep at least one eye on the electoral cycle and on being popular enough to keep their positions. Now, does it work? Well, it has been used in many countries, mostly very successfully. There have been challenges, of course, but those have been lessons which have been learned. In the Republic of Ireland, in 2018, for example the people were able to vote on a referendum on making abortion legal. And this was a classic wicked issue, a hugely emotive topic with strong opinions on both sides, such as the Catholic Church and the rights of the fetus on one side and the rights of women to have control over their bodies on the other side. The process leading up to the referendum included a citizens' assembly, which met over a period of six months, heard from 25 experts and reviewed 300 submissions. At the end of the Citizens' Assembly, 87% of the Assembly members agreed that the law on abortions should be changed. 
And in the referendum that followed that, 64% of the wider population agreed. Now, this was an incredibly divisive issue, with strong passions on both sides of the discussion, all across the nation. As a result, it was a classic wicked issue which politicians were not able to deal with. But the Citizens' Assembly made it possible for a national discussion to take place and for a referendum to be held in the wake of the Citizens' Assembly, and that referendum led to changing the law, as well as to healing some of the divisions over the issue. At least everybody knew that everybody had thought about all of the issues sensibly. There are many other examples of citizens' assemblies which have been held in different countries around the world, with all sorts of terms of reference, and all sorts of outcomes. It's not perfect, but it is a lot, lot better than just having politicians who aren't prepared to deal with the issues at all. In fact, the citizens' assembly process is already being used in the UK. A bit. Not properly, because I bet you haven't heard of it. And one of the most important parts of a citizens' assembly is that we should all be aware of what's going on. We might not want to follow all of the information, but we should know that we could follow all of the information if we wanted to. We should know that the Citizens' Assembly really is representing the people of the country, and we should know that we can therefore trust the ideas and conclusions which the Citizens' Assembly produces are ideas and conclusions which we can respect and which we can trust. For example, a Citizens' Assembly, Climate Assembly, was held during the spring of 2020 as a project of the House of Commons, and the report was presented to six of the select committees of the House of Commons. Excellent. It remains to be seen how much of the Climate Assembly report will be acted upon by the government. So far, to be honest, not much, sadly. But let's address more of the wicked issues as soon as possible, because the longer we leave them, the more wicked those issues become. So citizens' assemblies addressing the wicked issues. Why are we doing this? Why should you be interested in all of this? Well, because it's about you and me and all of us. It's about the way our country is run, in whose interests it's run, and about how that affects the way all of us live. There's an interesting term which is sometimes applied to us, the voters. The disinherited. The disinherited. Not because we are owed something by the past, but because we are disabled from realising our potential contribution to society by the incumbent political class. In other words, we're not able to do everything we can do because the people who are currently in charge aren't making it possible for us. Now, there's no point in saying I wouldn't start from here. Citizens' assemblies are one small way in which we can start to make a difference. We might not want to be starting from here, but here is where we are. We can look at what mistakes put us here, and we can try to avoid repeating those mistakes. Sometimes it might be useful to identify who made the mistakes, if that's going to help us avoid repeating them by avoiding trusting those people. But simply parking the blame on someone, that doesn't help. We need to do something. We need to do the right thing. And citizens' assemblies are one way in which we can start to do exactly that. So that's it. Get a small group of people together, maybe 100, specially selected to be representative of the range of people and perspectives across the country. Young, old, rich, poor, different races and genders, different political views. 
Give them all the information about a topic. Let them ask all the questions they need to. Let them discuss it. Let them think about it. Let them hear from the experts and from the people who really care about the topic. Let anyone who wants to listen in. Publicise the process. Publicise the information and the ideas and the background to the topic. And then ask that group of people to make a decision on that topic on behalf of all of us. A decision which is nuanced and informed. And then ask our elected representatives to follow up on that decision. In fact, then insist that our elected representatives follow up on that decision. Because the wicked issues might be difficult, but they're important. And it's not good enough that we just keep ducking them. Or that our elected representatives just keep ducking them. Next time. Next time we're going to move on to look at whether there are further ways in which we can involve citizens, not just political party politicians, in some of the important politics in our world to get things to work a bit better. In particular, we're going to look at an idea called citizen scrutiny. If you think about it, it's a bit strange that the bodies which are supposed to check on our government are also controlled by our government. These bodies are called scrutiny committees, and the idea of holding our government to account is a good one. There should always be someone who should ask us, any of us, to think twice before we make a big decision, or who should bring different opinions to the table. But if those scrutiny committees are controlled by the same political party which is in government, and if your performance as a member of a scrutiny committee, as an MP, is going to affect how likely it is that your political party is going to reward you with the opportunity to become a minister in the future to be part of the government, well then, what sort of checks and balances are those scrutiny committees really able to provide? Well, perhaps we need a slightly better system, one which is a bit more independent of political parties. And that might be called citizen scrutiny. That's next time. If you would like to have a look at the transcripts of the podcast, including links to all of our sources and references, please go to www.talktogether.info and follow the links to the podcast from there. And of course, if you'd like to contact us, not least if you'd like to share any ideas which you have about how we could make things better, or if there are any areas of how politics is supposed to work, but why it isn't working, or anything you'd like to draw to our attention, please email us at any time on info at talktogether.info. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then I hope you'll take the time to tell your friends. And perhaps you could also take a moment to give us a rating wherever you found us. That not only helps other people to find us, but also just really makes us feel appreciated. That would be great. Thank you. Yeah.